Understood is a resource I have recommended for many years to parents looking for support with learning and thinking differences such as ADHD, dyslexia, and more. And I'm subsequently excited to tell you about their podcast, Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. They cover topics such as how to tell if your child needs an IEP, common myths about special education, and the difference between IEPs and 504 plans. I love how Understood Explains breaks down the overwhelm by unpacking an important topic each season and then drilling down further into key basics in each episode. Most episodes are between 10 to 15 minutes, and episodes are available in both English and Spanish. So fantastic, right? To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Are you, like pretty much every parent of younger kids I know, looking for a smart entertainment option for your kids? Designed for kids ages six and up, Mysteries About True Histories, also known as Math, How Smart Is That?, is a weekly podcast full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and humor. And while kids will enjoy the stories anchored around characters like troublesome trolls, pirate queens, and mysterious aunts, adults can benefit too. I admittedly delighted in learning a thing or two about Pythagoras and triangles in one episode. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code-breaking, pattern-solving, and more, all weaving humor in with education to make learning fun. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a great length for transition times during the day or a bedtime treat. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, your host, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you will come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Hello, friends. I am delighted to bring you an amazing guest today, author Melody Warnick. She has two books out. One is called This Is Where You Belong, and the other is If You Could Live Anywhere. And we are going to be talking about finding adult friendships and community, which is a request I've received on repeat. So hello, Melody. Welcome to the show. Hi, Christine. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. And we were just talking about this before the break, but I will say that you hold a really honored spot in Edit Your Life lore because I received an email from a listener specifically asking for you. And I believe it's the first time I've ever received a, an email like that and then actually followed up and written and asked somebody to come on the show. So thanks for responding to my email. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I Normally, you just refuse to take people's recommendations. Normally, I'm just inundated with recommendations. It's not that I don't care. I'm just inundated. Well, I feel very honored. Well, so thank you for coming on again. And I want to start by actually reading the 
letter I received. I've de-identified it a bit, but this way we can set the context for listeners. This person writes, Hi, Christine. Just wanted to say thanks for the episode on friendship reboot tactics. After moving in my late 30s, I've had to do a lot of soul searching and hard work in trying to create a social life and support system in a new state while raising young kids. It is still something I'm grappling with nearly daily since friendship seems to be something many people seem unwilling to commit time towards. I would love any future episodes on creating community, a strong neighborhood, local communities, etc. Melody Warnick, the author, might be a good resource for this, and I know the University of Missouri Extension actually has a class and a conference on creating strong neighborhoods. So there you go, Melody. There's the evidence. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I know, right? I, I I'm, I'm really happy that she thought of me. And this problem that she's talking about, I think, is incredibly widespread. Yes, indeed. Uh, so yeah. let's start big picture. I would love for you to start educating our listeners here by explaining the concept of place attachment and what the major factors might be to help people develop a sense of attachment. Yeah. So place attachment is this feeling of emotional connection that we have with the place where we live. So it is that feeling of being rooted, of Mm -hmm. being deeply at home in a place. And, um, you know, like the woman who wrote to you, it is something that when we move to a new place, we can really struggle with. It's something that a lot of us have experienced in our lives, but we might not realize it's something that we have and that's important in our lives until we don't have it after a move. Mm. So I think of place attachment as something that develops over time. Research shows that it can take about five years for place attachment, that sense of emotional connection to peak when we've Mm. moved to a new community. And my experience was very much like your listener, that I moved to a new town in Virginia when I was in my 30s, mid 30s, and um, after a string of moving to different states and really questioned what actually has to happen for a person to feel at home in a place. How do you go from feeling like you're, you know, a newcomer, you're a little bit of a foreigner in a place mm-hmm. to feeling like this is your town, your community? And what I realized from digging into the research on this is that place attachment results from behaviors mm. that it's something that grows over time, but we can nudge it along based on what we do. Uh, so I I tend to think of it a sort of a daily practice that we engage in, a series of behaviors that are designed to nurture that connection with our place. Yeah, that's really, really, I love that because (laughs) this show is all about those tiny little acts to give yourself agency in situations. So the idea that it's rooted in behavior is really important. I also think it's very interesting to hear that number five, as in five years, obviously, I'm sure there's variability around that, depending on how many behavioral actions you might take if you're a data quantification nerd like I am. But it is interesting. It's a a long game, right? It is a long time. And and that was kind of my experience moving to Blacksburg, Virginia, because my husband got a job here. We didn't know anyone at all. And 
um, I saw this research and I'm like, I don't want to be miserable for five years, Mm -hmm. you know, like I don't want to wait that long. So what can I do to accelerate this process? And there are specific behaviors that can help people. There's research that shows that when it comes to place attachment, a few things really matter. First, feeling like you're socially connected to your place, feeling like your community has, you know, social offerings, like it's beautiful, like it's open to people can make you feel more connected to your community. But no matter what town you ended up living in or or how you feel about it, I think people, individual residents can work on cultivating relationships, cultivating appreciation for your town and engaging in it. So for me, uh, as a relative newcomer in Blacksburg, it was doing things like introducing myself to my neighbors Mm -hmm. and, and taking them banana bread. It was volunteering at the local historic movie theater. It was shopping at the farmer's market. It was taking walks in my neighborhood and picking up trash along the way. So, you know, an, an interesting thing about place attachment is it really comes down to perception. There are people in your community who absolutely love it. And there are people in your community who really hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, you have some agency to decide where on that spectrum you fall. Not yeah. every community is right for everyone, but you can sort of choose to uh, experience the best that your community has to offer and um, and really uh, intentionally make it your own place. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, I think that mental shift is so important, too, because I remember when we moved into our current home, which we've now been in for 14 years, when we first moved in, even at the beginning, I had a sense of like, I don't know how long we're going to be here. Yeah. So I didn't even do things like hang pictures on the wall. And then maybe a year or two in, I said to myself, "Okay, we're laying down our roots. It's time to hang the pictures. It's time to really plug in. And that mental shift meant a lot. You know, it changed the game for us. Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, lots of times when we move, we don't really know, is this going to be permanent? I think uh, Americans especially can be really mobile. And one person that I talked to when I was writing This Is Where You Belong um, is a friend who was a military spouse. And, you know, that's a challenging situation where you're moving every three or four years, have zero control over where you end up. And the advice that she lived by was unpack your suitcase, Mm -hmm. you know, like um, metaphorically and literally. Mm -hmm. But, you know, no matter where you end up or how long you think you'll be there really make the effort to to settle in to to act as if this is your forever home whether it is or not and we do that with these little sort of daily choices of how we interact with our community where we go how we spend our time who we reach out to and and all those little daily behaviors can really change how we feel about where we are mhm Well, that leads me to another question I want to ask you, which is a bit more high level, because I love thinking and talking about values. In fact, I have a whole separate episode called Identifying Your Values that launched this year. And you write about the importance of really staying true to your values and aligning your location to your values. So 
I'm curious if you could talk about why this is important and how to factor in your values, perhaps when there are many logistics like a job, cost, kids, you know, maybe you're not super excited about the place, any of those things that might dictate choices. Yeah. So, you know, I wrote the my new book, which came out last year called If You Could Live Anywhere, with this idea that, you know, all of us at various times are what I call anywhere is. You know, we mm-hmm. saw a huge boom in that during COVID where tons of people all of a sudden found themselves in remote work situations where being, you know, having proximity to a particular workplace suddenly didn't matter anymore. And you had lots of freedom to decide, I, you know, I can choose where I live, what really matters to me. So I think it started out with this idea of, you know, people who have the entire menu of thousands of towns across the world to choose from. And how do you narrow it down? But I think it's applicable even for people who might be a little more hemmed in. They are tied to a job because we are choosing, even if, you know, you know, you have to be in Nashville, say, but you're choosing neighborhoods or Mm -hmm. you're choosing which part of town and what, what do you want to be near? And I think values come into play because every move is a little aspirational, right? We're, Mm -hmm. we're sort of choosing what kinds of uh, characteristics we want to see play out in our life. And our place kind of helps us embody those values. I was really inspired when I read Anne Bogle's Don't Overthink It. And she tells this story of trying to decide on a school for one of her kids. And, you know, they were choosing from a few options, couldn't make the decision. And she sort of went back to this idea of what are our values? And one of the values she and her family had identified was community and particularly neighborhood and walkability. And Mm -hmm. those were things that mattered to their family. And so they chose the, the, close by neighborhood school that they could walk to and felt really happy with it because it felt like a reflection of who they wanted to be. And I think that plays out, you know, no matter what kind of place decision we're, you know, whether we're being forced to make a decision that we're not really excited about, or we're, we're choosing a new place out of, you know, anywhere in the world we think about things like, I really value spending time in nature. And Mm. so I'm going to choose to maybe, you know, live in a place that's a little more rural because that will allow me to spend more time in in this beautiful natural environment. Or things like, you know, I value spending time with family. And maybe that plays out with as I will move closer to extended family or it might be I'm going to choose to live in a lower cost of living area because that's going to allow me to work a little less and I can spend more time with my kids. Mm-hmm. So I think really getting serious about what matters to you and how your community can foster uh, those values in your life really helps you kind of zero in on the right place for you. I love that so much. And thank you for sharing so many concrete examples, because I think values, whenever I talk to people about it, it feels a little bit kind of weighty and big and they're actually very simple. So I really appreciate all of that. Okay, Melody, we're going to dig into some tactics and we're going to do that after a quick break. 
Did you know that hyaluronic acid naturally occurs in our skin, but decreases gradually as we age, leading to thinner, drier skin? If you're looking for support hydrating your skin from the inside out, check out one of the tools in my hydration arsenal, Rituals Hyacera, which I take every morning. Rituals products are tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals, and Hyacera is clinically proven to reduce fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. They also engage in industry-leading sustainability standards and are a female-founded B Corp, which means they hold themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. Want to join me in hydrating from the inside out? Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash edit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash edit for 25% off. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. Hello, friends. We are back with the wonderful Melody Warnick, and we're going to dig in to some tactics. Now, Melody, I know you talked about a few ways that you specifically plugged into your new community when you moved. And I'm curious, whether it's research-driven or just based on your conversations and experience, what might be one of the simplest and most effective ways to plug into a new community? But I have a little nuance here, especially perhaps for people who identify as shy or introverted or are coming into a new community. Yeah, I love that little caveat of being shy or introverted. I'm super introverted myself. And so I I tend to sometimes like when I'm giving advice, I'm like, just start to show up to stuff. And it's amazing. (laughs) And I have to remind myself that I wouldn't do that. (laughs) You know, like if, if I'm new in a community, that's tough. So here is a really simple piece of advice. Um, Find your community's Facebook group. Mm. So I used to recommend reading the local newspaper just to sort of get the lay of the land. And I I absolutely would still say that. But for a lot of places, local news um, has become a little scarce. But I've discovered that most communities have some sort of Facebook group or some sort of online social gathering place. In my town, we have a Facebook group called Everything Blacksburg. And it is the kind of place that is brilliant for newcomers to get your questions answered, like, what vet do you recommend? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, where should I get my curly haircut? Or things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, it kind of helps you get 
a sense of, you know, it, it helps you put roots down in that very logistical, practical way of, you know, I need a new doctor and I need a new dentist and stuff like that. But I've also found that it is really helpful for simply starting to establish relationships. I've seen people go on there and say, hey, you know, we just moved here from North Carolina and here's what we're into and we'd love to have someone to hang out. And and people are shockingly responsive to that, at least in my community. That's amazing. Yeah, I've seen the same thing in my city, too. I mean, it can also be. I guess I'll just say in a measured way, you can get a read on, you know, maybe who might be a good fit for you personality wise and who might not. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Like even in a relatively small town, you kind of have, you know, different gathering spaces that Mm -hmm. work for different sorts of people. And, you know, those kinds of online groups tend to be an easy entry point, you know, especially if you're shy or introverted, because you can kind of observe what's happening for a while before you feel like you have to jump into the fray and you might get us, you know, get a sense of where in this community you fit in. I think, you know, the corollary to that probably is start showing up to some things that are going on in your community. So, you know, you find the online events listing, or maybe it's the bulletin board in the library where people are posting flyers and you can kind of start choosing um, places where you feel comfortable entering your community socially. I, Mm. you know, I always feel like it's hard to feel rooted or settled or place attached to a community until you start establishing relationships there. Yeah. You know, I, I remember going to a conference and having a woman come up to me afterwards, um, after I spoke about place attachment and saying, you know, I really love a lot of things about the city I live, but I don't feel like I have any friends there. And so I'm, I'm probably going to move. And I really think of that as sort of, um, the litmus test for people's happiness in a community. If you have a good social network there, including some of those loose ties, like here's the grocery store clerk that I always check out with and, you know, kind of recognize them. If you have those relationships, they kind of tie you in place. You just, mm-hmm. they make you feel comfortable and purposeful and needed in your community. And if you don't have those relationships, um, it's hard to ever feel truly at home. And so, you know, I think people are right to sort of prioritize building those connections. And so, you know, that's why I think starting to engage with your community, even online, can be a nice, easy first step to moving toward that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that leads me to my next question, which is maybe like 2.0. And I really feel for the listener who wrote in because they identified a struggle to forge friendships, given that people seemed unwilling to commit the time towards them. And that's tough. You know, everybody's busy and it can hard I think it can feel hard on both sides to establish new relationships. So, I mean, I also realize we have a very limited context into this person's experience, but based on what you heard, how would you recommend this person works towards building deeper relationships in their neighborhood and community if they're feeling a little bit like the first vibes are not particularly receptive? Yeah. Uh, So 
I really feel for this listener as well. This is a really challenging thing for people as they get a little older. Um, you know, moving in your 30s or 40s or beyond and having to make adult friendships is just difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, if there's any comfort to be had in knowing that this is really sort of a universal problem, then um, there it is. And I think even more challenging post-COVID, I think people are feeling really stretched thin mm-hmm. and, um, you know, struggling to find time for the friends they already have. And that makes them reluctant to sort of add any new people to the fold because, you know, we're, we may already feel like we're failing as, as friends to the friends we have. Yes. Um, and don't feel like we have the bandwidth to take on anyone new. And that really sucks if you're a newcomer and you, you only have the option of making new friends in your community. So one of my top pieces of advice would be to find other newcomers because Mm -hmm. those are the people who like you um, have slots in their calendar for new friends. Um, So in my community, we have something called the newcomers club and it literally is, you know, a, a club for people who are new to our town and they do events like walking groups or museum tours they have meetings and your chances of successfully befriending someone who also is new um and on the lookout for new friends uh you know that is dramatically higher when you're trying to socialize with other newcomers so if your town doesn't have something really obvious like the newcomers club um it it could be something like you know, finding meetups in your community um, or arranging one yourself, asking your realtor for recommendations Mm. of new people, joining a young professionals group or, you know, some sort of quasi business social group that is designed for people who want to network and, and make connections. I think joining something Formal or semi-formal can be especially helpful for people who are introverted because it gives you sort of a structured way to interact. Um, I I am continually surprised by how many people in my town attend pottery classes and think of that as like a real kind of social nexus for them. Um, It's like parallel play. It's kind of perfect, right? (laughs) A hundred percent. Like, you're doing your thing and, mm-hmm. you know, the people next to you are making their pottery and you're kind you, you auto- automatically have something in common. You're doing something together. Um, so, you know, something like that where you have, you know, a designated time where you're going to show up every week, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a rec mm-hmm. sports league or a pickleball team. Um, my local bookstore has a monthly book club. Anything like that, that sort of gives you the in to just meet people um, will help. And then it's sort of like dating, right? Where you have to invite someone to lunch or, you know, start texting them slowly. And, you know, that means that like the listener who wrote in, sometimes you have some missteps there and Mm -hmm. you, you get 
you get the bad vibe or, you know, someone doesn't want to set up something for lunch and that sucks because it really is, you know, it can feel like rejection and that can be hard, but you know, there's nothing to for it, but to just kind of plunge ahead and keep, keep doing things that you love to do because that will put you in proximity to other people who love to do the same things you love. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely wonderful. And it does lead me to another question because I think it's so interesting given your work on location independence and the realities of our now Zoom and FaceTime culture. I am curious. So for example, if this person hasn't tried these tactics yet or they're not ready to take the first step, I'm curious about your thoughts on reliance on old communities and friendships, especially if forging new ones is proving to be a struggle. Um, I know there are many factors in play, but for example, I guess what I'm thinking is, do you think it's problematic to keep leaning back if you want to anchor forward in a new community? It is a great question. And I think it comes down to, is this an, an either or situation or is this an and, which mm. is to say that if you feel like um, staying in touch with the friends you just moved away from um, is perhaps giving you extra encouragement and emotional energy to also work on sinking your social roots in your new community, then that's perfect. You know, if this is the reminder of I am worthy and mm-hmm. I'm a good mm-hmm. friend and this is boosting my confidence, uh, you know, giving me this sense of I can do this. I've done this before. These people love me. And, um, and and that is energizing me to move forward and uh, tackle this in my new, in my new community. Then I think it's wonderful. And one of the blessings of technology is that it allows you to keep in touch. You know, when I moved to Virginia, not long after I came here, I did a girl's trip with the friends that I had just left behind in Texas. And I think that was, I think it was sort of energizing to be like, yes, I am a good friend uh-huh. and, and people like me. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, if this is something where keeping in daily contact with the friends from your old town and and your old neighborhood is sort of reminding you of this tragedy that you had to leave them. And it's, it's draining and Mm. you're sad and you're telling yourself, I will never be as good of friends with anyone in this new place as I was with the friends in my last town. Then maybe that is, um, something that you need to sort of reassess. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, you know, one of the interesting things about place attachment is um, we can have multiple place attachments. So it's not necessarily that in order to attach to my new community, I have to like kick this old community to the curb and um, start hating on it. We can love all the places that we've lived. And I really feel strongly that those places and especially those connections, those people that we knew sort of stay with us. They make us who we are Mm. and they, they make our lives richer. And so I, I would never want someone to feel like, Oh, now that I've moved to this new city, I really, you know, I can't talk to anyone. 
um, in the last one. But I, you know, I hope that it's something that encourages you. I, I think that's the nice thing too about place attachment. I talk a lot about this in This Is Where You Belong, that these behaviors, this kind of daily acts of developing place attachment are, are really sort of a set of tactics and strategies that mm-hmm. you can apply wherever you live. So the fact that you did it in your last community is a really great sign that you will figure it out in this new place as well. It just is going to take a hot minute. Okay. I love that because it's data. It's evidence. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that is so good. Oh my gosh. This conversation is so energizing. Melody, I want to get to talking about friendships independent of children. And we'll do that after a quick break. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Okay, friends, we are back with the wonderful Melody Warnick. And I got to say, Melody, I am inspired to give my friendships a little love. Like right after we finish recording, I'm going to send some loving emojis and emails, (laughs) perhaps. I don't know. The letter I read aloud, that listener identified as a parent of young children. I didn't say this actually earlier, but we're talking like the elementary school and under or the five and under crowd. I also recently received a request to address, quote, finding meaningful adult friendships and relationships independent from your role as a parent. So for time-pressed parents who want to get outside the playground, as it were, what do you recommend? I I love this question because I always think of um, 
dogs and kids are the ultimate icebreaker when it comes to um, making friends in a new community. It is, I think, in general, if you have moved to a new place, you're trying to make friends in a community, having kids gives you a really nice starting point to, you know, you're making play dates and and stuff and just kind of it's easy to get to know the parents of your kids friends so i like the idea of moving beyond that and looking for just adult relationships that maybe have nothing to do with your kids so um this recommendation is uh maybe sounds a little more challenging but hear me out (laughs) um find a way to contribute to your community. And by that, I mean something like um, volunteering, joining a town board, joining Mm. a committee to to plan a festival, joining your HOA board or, you know, your neighborhood watch or something like that. And the reason I'm saying that is um, investing in your community in that way, in a way that makes you feel like you are having an impact in in your town, that you have a purpose in contributing your to your community, is incredibly good for place attachment. This is one of the most important things I'd recommend. In addition to developing relationships, is engaging in your place in a way that allows you to contribute to it, and so. This is sort of a twofer because you're doing both of those things at the same time. You have a chance to develop relationships, but you're also developing your sense of ownership of your town and you're feeling that you can make positive change in your community. And, um, you know, I did this. My husband did a grad program in Iowa and we were there for six years. And when we had been there less than a year, I signed up to join the library board. And I had, you know, a three-year-old at the time later, I, you know, would get pregnant again. And looking back, I'm like, dang, that was a really like, um, weird decision to (laughs) want to do that. Um, as a young mom with Mm -hmm. young kids and working and things like that. And I did it purely out of the sense of, hey, I really like the library and I want to feel like I'm giving back in some way. And, you know, that absolutely gave me uh, what this listener is looking for, that sense Mm. of meaningful adult relationships that go beyond your role as a parent. So, you know, I can't say that any of those people became like my BFFs that we were hanging out, but once a month, you know, you're, you're sitting in this room, you're making decisions that impact this amazing community resource in the library. You know, we did hiring, we did retreats, we did special events, and it gave me an identity outside of my kids. Um, Mm -hmm. and a sense that I really was a part of this town. And, you know, I, I learned so much about the workings of my community that I never would have. And I'm glad that I had no idea what I was getting into because, um, you know, it made me want to say yes to this opportunity that I think ended up being really enriching. I think that's wonderful. And also in my next life, I totally, or my next phase of life, rather volunteering at a library is on my list. But there was something that you said that I think is really important here, which is that 
those people didn't necessarily become your BFFs, but it was still really meaningful because I'm thinking specifically about two experiences I had in my community where one, this was pre COVID, but I decided to just invest a little in myself one summer and take, uh, become a part of this women's guitar workshop. I was total newcomer. I didn't, I'd never played before, but I wanted to play. And it was just a weekly thing where maybe a half dozen women were like taught how to play guitar. I, again, I didn't become BFFs with any of them, but it was just cool to meet other people who cared about the things or cared about music and wanted to try to learn something. And so it was very inspiring that way. And then this past year, I'm sort of chuckling on this end of the mic because listeners know I'm not normally a committee joiner, but I was very fired up. This connects to parenting, but it was also separate from it. But I was very fired up about the state of sex ed in my (laughs) school district. Wow. Yeah. Yes. I'm very passionate about this topic. And so I actually joined or applied to join and was selected to participate in a health curriculum review. It was a really big undertaking. And again, even though I didn't become BFFs with the people who were on the committee, it was really amazing to be have these every other week, two hour meetings where I was just in the presence of other really committed, passionate, thoughtful people who I knew lived all around me, even even if I didn't really see them otherwise. So I think there's something to having those touch points that might not necessarily become your deepest ones, or they might, who knows, but it just gave me a lot of comfort in where I lived. A hundred. I love both of those examples. I, and I think they're perfect. I think because we're feeling stretched thin, a lot of us, um, there's a reluctance to commit to these kind of activities, you know, like right now I'm, um, this is parenting related, but I'm, you know, on the board for the band boosters at the high school. Cause you know, my kids in the marching band and, um, and there are definitely times where it's just like, Ugh, why, why did am I, I <laughs> right? Why did I sign up for this? But those are definitely people that, um, yeah, again, not people that I'm hanging out with, but I, I love to see them. I'm, you know, running into them. And I think the other thing, as you pointed out with this committee that you're on, the kinds of people who sign up for those things, who volunteer, who who agree to sit on community boards are the kind of people I tend to like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like they're the volunteers, they're community minded. And there is something really meaningful and powerful about uh, sitting in a room with people like that, who even with disparate viewpoints are all working for the betterment of this same place. You know, we're all experiencing this place in slightly different ways and maybe see slightly different things for its future. But I think, you know, being in the room, being close up with other community members who want to see good things for the town is a really powerful driver for place attachment Mm -hmm. in my experience. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. All right, Melody. Well, I always say this with interviews, but I really feel like we could keep talking for many, many more hours. I I won't even get started on my love for marching band. Let's not go there. So (laughs) at the end of each show I share or in an interview, I ask my guests to share 
what I call your next edit. This is a super actionable tip that listeners can consider doing right away after they finish listening. I know you've given a lot, so you can select from one you've talked about or a new one. And in the context of our conversation, I would love for you to share your next edit for our listeners. So I love actionable tips. That's <laughs> I used to write for magazines. And so doing like the articles with just like tips uh, yes. for parents and things mm-hmm. like that. That is um, my favorite thing. So it was really hard to come up with just one. But this is what I will go with. Um, make a bucket list for your town. And um, that can be the list of, you know, things to do in your community and around it, but also things that you just need to experience to really feel like you belong to this community. I had a friend here in Blacksburg who did this when she moved here and she would ask strangers, you know, waiters at restaurants or um, people who were selling things at the farmer's market to recommend things for her bucket list. And I think what this does, if you're a newcomer, is give you a sense of how lovable your community really is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's a small town or a big city, there are really wonderful things to experience. And you're you're talking to people, you're having those conversations and you're asking people literally like, why do you love it here? You know, what, what would help me love it too? And, you know, forming a a bucket list of things you want to experience, whether it's, you know, trying the, you know, strawberry hibiscus ice cream at this one ice cream parlor or going on the hike to the waterfall, uh, that, gives you a sort of set of instructions for falling in love with your place. And I think it's useful even if you've been in your community for a long time, because it allows you to sort of see your place with fresh eyes and maybe discover new things. I remember um, how annoyed I was because about um, after living in Ames, Iowa for six years, about three weeks before we moved away to Texas, Someone mentioned this lake with an awesome (laughs) swimming beach that was like 15 minutes from where we lived, but it was kind of like this secret place and no one, just no one had ever said anything about it to me. And right before we moved, I discovered it and went a few times and just thought, dang, I wish I had known about this a long time ago. So I think even if you've lived in a place for years, Asking people for their recommendations for the bucket list can help you make new discoveries. And I think it's just a reminder to experience joy where you are, because mm. that's what I think place attachment is about. You you don't always know how long you'll be in a place. Maybe you know you're, you'll only be there for a brief season, but there are joys to be had in your community if you seek them out. And that's what makes us fall in love with our places and want to stay. Oh, Melody, I love this so much. So first one, 
I'll just say quickly, this is so weird. I think you're in my head because just this weekend, I was working on a summer bucket list and a concept for a future episode called The Summer of Small Delights. But your, (laughs) yeah, but your commentary here is inspiring me to even drill it down hyper local and make it a bucket list in my town. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to be influenced by you. (laughs) Yay. Well, I, I absolutely have that thought about summer. Like I tend to think that place attachment rises in summer because we just, you know, our places are a little more lovable, um, usually in, um, in summer and spring and fall. But I had this thought last night, it's almost firefly season, you Mm -hmm. know, and firefly season is this fleeting moment, just a month or, or, you know, maybe two, but it is so amazing when it happens. And you just have to remember um, to enjoy these things while they're available in your community. Indeed. Melody, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. This was a true joy. I, I just, I feel like we could truly be best friends if we lived in the same neighborhood, but we'll just, you should move. You should move to Blacksburg, Virginia. (laughs) Come on, Christine. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. And I really appreciate you taking the time to provide so much thoughtful fodder for consideration for all of our listeners. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Christine. It was a pleasure. And I wish everyone the best of luck, um, you know, making their place their home. Beautiful. Okay, friends, you'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at edityourlifeshow or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.